You're listening to Unleashed by Nonstop Dogware, the podcast where you get inspirational stories and useful knowledge from dog lovers all over the world. This is your host, Jeanette. Today's guest is one of the world's best athletes in agility. With her Shetland sheepdog Zelda, she plays third in this year's European Open, and they have been on the podium at the World Championship two times. Elibiata Satir, welcome. Thank you. Agility, it might look very easy when you look at some good athletes doing it, but it's a lot of hard work behind it. I thought that as well when I first saw someone uh, did agility. And it looks like a dance, kind of, when you are handling your dogs through the course. It's nice when you are seeing someone that have this good connection with uh, her or his dog. The basic is quite... Or you have to have a good basic to get this good rhythm, to get it look like this dance. Absolutely much hard work to, to come there and... I think for someone it's hard to to like uh, get this rhythm through the whole career but if you are always trying to find the small key points I think you will come there. On a course you are communicating with your dog in different ways and everything goes so fast but you use body language you use your voice what you do to tell your dog what to do on the course. I was starting with agility in 2008 And uh, then I was just 12 years old. Uh, So I was very young myself. And I had a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. And his name was Todd. And he didn't want to work. So he was like, he was just walking through the course. And then I didn't have this much speed. Me neither. So the rhythm was not so good then. But um, uh, after a while or after two years, I got my first Shetland Shipdog, Siraya. She is now 10 years old. And with her, it was uh, much more speed. The good thing with Todd was that I had to learn how to take... Uh, you have different uh, ways to handle a dog through the course. So you have like front cross, you have rear cross, you have blind cross. And then you have different techniques you can use on, on the jump obstacles or the tunnels. So with Todd, I really had to learn these crosses uh, in a good way because it was so slow. And, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So it was never fast with Todd, but with Siraya, I had this good rhythm in my own body. So when it, when she ran faster than Todd, it was easy to me to do the same crosses with her. So the rhythm was much better once. For other people that start their agility career with a fast dog, then it can be very hard to learn these crosses in a good way because it's, not so often that you are like repeating it on your own without a dog. You will always do it with the dog and then it's always too fast and then you never learn it good enough. But if you have a slow dog, then you learn it very well and then it's easier to do it with a fast dog afterwards. I, I'm very grateful that I had Todd and I learned it in this good way in the beginning. And it was much easier for me to then handle Siraya. I was just 14 when I got her, so I was not that good dog trainer then either. But when I then got Zelda, that I have been in the World Championship and European Open with, I learned a lot more myself. And then, uh, and we find this good uh, connection and rhythm quite uh, fast. So, yeah. But how do you build this connection from the dog as a puppy? Like, how do you start with an agility dog? And when do you start training? 
Zelda is the first dog I really started to work with from a young age. So the reason is that Siraya, she had this, um, when she was like, uh, I think two years old, she got a big injury. It's called a uh, slip tendon. And it's about that her tendon on the calcaneus, like her Achilles tendon, was slipping. So then she started to limp. And because of that, she had to operate. So first she had one operation on her first leg. And just after a rehabilitation in six months, she had to, the, the same injury came on the other leg. And the vet I had talked to, she said it to me that that was... It could happen that when you first got it on the first leg, it can come on the second leg also. And that did happen with Sira. So then I had to go through a new period re- rehabilitation. And um, yeah, like I said, I was quite young. So maybe 15 in this time, 15 years old. I was tired of waiting uh, at this time. So I, I started to search on the internet to different kind of things to do with her because I couldn't do agility at this time. And then I found Sylvia Turkman. And she is a well-known person in the agility society. So I think it was because of that I, I got her link or her YouTube channel. And I was so inspired. She had a lot of good movies and she was doing a lot of tricks with her dog. And I was uh, going to her YouTube channel and I started at, I, I had seen someone over her videos with the dogs that did a lot of stuff. I remember, I think some of the first videos I saw was this washing video. So she taught her dogs to wash like on the table with this towel and uh, taking things out of the, of the washing machine with clothes and so on and on the kitchen floor and on the kitchen bench and so on. I love to have it clean in the house myself. So I was really, oh, this is nice <laughs> to learn the dog, uh, this stuff. So I went to her YouTube channel and uh, and started from the beginning, actually. So I just scrolled down and uh, saw her first video. And then I worked my way through her whole channel, I remember. I started to do a lot of tricks with her because that was a good thing to do when uh, when I couldn't do agility. So after that day, most of her meals did go to the training. So I took her breakfast and, and I tried to learn her new tricks. So I started, of course, with the simplest one that she also knew, like sit, laying down and standing and then rolling on the floor and then also going in circles. And uh, I asked her to take this towel in her mouth and rolling around with the towel so that she could like hide in a towel. And I um, started with the uh, walls, I remember. So I wanted her to like lift one paw and then both the uh, front uh, paws and the hind legs uh, up to the up to the wall and so on so she had to like backing up to the walls so I could strengthen her front and I also asked her to sit pretty and also to standing on two feet so I could strengthen her back and a lot of such stuff and in the beginning she didn't like it at all and I was please sit down and she was like no and then she just went away because she didn't like that we had to train for food she was like why why are you so telling me to do stuff why are you doing that so we had a little trouble in the beginning but but after a while I was like working with it and then she really understood and she started to like it so after a while uh, when I took her breakfast she was like running after me and wanted to train with me in the morning because it was a routine then in that way you get 
a really good connection with a dog because they are thinking when they are getting food, they are getting it through you, and that's a very positive association. So, of course, you're getting a strong bond with them then. And that was also what Sylvia thought. Her mindset is much that agility and everything else, also obedience and and most of dog sport is just not a trick. You have to like taking a big sport or a maybe a hard thing to learn a dog and you have to break it down to small pieces and then start from the scratch and like building piece by piece. And in the end, you can do the whole thing together. And then I got Zelda. Zelda, she was born actually when Siraya had her third operation for slip tendon. I think this was a nice time to get Zelda because I was really, I was so extremely crying. I remember when she had this last operation and I was so sad. Uh, so it was a huge motivation for me to get a puppy then. And already from day one, when she was eight weeks old, I started to take her breakfast. So I took her breakfast and uh, collected it in a little bowl so I started to just learn her the clicker. That was the first thing. So I was like giving her food and then clicking. So she got this association with food and click. Uh, that was the beginning. All the way the food came through me. So that was something that she took fast. And uh, after she, has lear- she had learned click, I started to learn her different tricks. But very, very easy when she was so young. So I actually saw what she was doing and if she did something that I think was a good thing, maybe she turned around, maybe she was laying down, maybe she was barking. I was just clicking, clicking for it. So you're letting your dogs come with the ideas. You don't necessarily tell the dog what to do or no. guide the dog. You, you let the dog have ideas itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an uh, important thing also to get the motivation up that they can decide themselves as well. It's like if you had any kids, like that you are not always telling them what to do or how to play, but you can play with them. So I think it's you are a team when you are a dog and a handler. So it's important to to respect the other team member, and that's the dog. You have to like make the rules together. Of course, you are the leader, kind of, but uh, yeah, you have to respect the dog. These small things gives you extremely good connection, I think. Because you get kind of your own language with a dog and you have this feeling for them. Uh, quite early on, I'm starting to thinking agility because that's like my sport. Um, then I'm thinking, okay, what's the agility about? And it's about like you have this jump and you have these tunnels and you have the dog walk, A-frame and seesaw and uh, slalom. That's pretty much it. So I'm starting to just think, okay, that's the obstacles. That's what they have to know. And then I have to like break it down to small pieces. And since jump and tunnel is the most uh, common obstacles, I'm starting with with that one. So tunnels is something that they can run through in a really early age, I think, because it's like the puppies are running anyway. So if they're running through a tunnel or if they're running in the woods, it doesn't matter. Of course, you have to, you don't have to press them to run full speed all the time or in sharp turns or, uh, and so and so on but like I don't think it's it will hurt them to run through the tunnels a little bit so then you have this jumping with Zelda I started to like learn her to go around a little stick this type of stick uh, was quite uh, small and the reason why that is because I want her tight 
I thought that to learn her to turn around this stick, to just go around it, either to the left or to the right, both ways, uh, it was good for two things. Uh, one, I could use these tricks further in the jumping and the agility. And two, it is a good stretching for her back. So she is really getting flexible in her back. I started with a clicker and the shaping, so I just rewarded her for looking at the stick, and then I always rewarded her near the stick. And after a time, I was rewarding her a little bit so that she went a little bit around, go a little bit to the left, and it didn't take so long time before she understood that, oh, I have to go just around uh, a whole circle. And then she started to do that. And then I had to learn in the other way because they often have this favorite side. In the beginning, it go, it really goes slow. But like I said, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So nowadays, when I'm saying her or telling her to do the same, she really goes fast through either to right or left. Because when she did a whole circle and after a while she did two circles to the same, same side, then I started to say a verbal cue on it. So then I start to say it the left or right. Or if you have anything else you want to say to them, you can use um, use uh, that word. And um, that's the same word that I'm using on a agility course today. She, she is a thinker. Not every dog is a thinker, but Zelda is. Or I can use my, my knowledge that I gotten through the tricks and I can use it to agility. I know that not every dog do that so fast. Uh, so you have to be patient with them as well. My my youngest dog now, she use much more time to understand that what we are doing in the kitchen or in the living room is the same that actually is going on on the agility course. And I don't know why, but it's just like genetic or, you know, it's like just the head and the mindset to the dog. So we always have to do different thing with different dogs. This trick is, yeah, I think it's very important to get this strong uh, connection again. I think if you are able to like break everything, you will teach them down to to small trick, then it gets very easy. Your dogs always seem super enthusiastic and they run with full speed. How do you manage to uh, to train them to be like this? Yeah, that's a good question. Like I like I told you earlier, Todd was not motivated at all, and it's more like the breed because it's like this breed that likes to cuddle a lot on the sofa and so on. Uh, but after we got Shelties and Herding Dog, it's easier to get them motivated. So that's that's one fact that you could think of if you are interested in agility, that maybe buy uh, a breed that fits the sport. But you can, of course, train motivation with your Cavalier as well as your Sheltie. I think the most important is to learning them to play and learning them to to have a lot of fun with with the play with you uh, or with the with the toys with you it depends um, how easy it is to get the the dog to play with the toy and uh, they don't have to play with the toy to be good in agility but i think that when you're learning a new thing it's good to use food but when you want to train a thing that they already know and you want more speed then it's perfect to use a toy because the toy is giving speed mostly and the food is giving thinking. So when you want the dog to not think so much much, but just run full speed, then it's nice to um, to have this toy and throw it away and yeah, make them uh, to this uh, uh, sixth gear and the last gear. Yeah. With Zelda, it was quite easy to learn her, her to uh, play when she was young. I think she had it quite naturally. She has this eager... Uh, with easy, I have some more struggles. So, 
So she, the youngest one in tenth months. So we are still uh, learning how to play, kind of. So I have a lot of blue marks on my arms because she, she prefer my arm uh, and not the toy. But I'm using a lot of time to click her like food, play, food, play, play, food, food, play. So in the beginning, I just had her breakfast and then I had this this toy. And uh, I was clicking that she just saw on the toy and then that she went to the toy and then that she took the toy in her mouth. But it took a lo- lot of time because she just wanted the food. She was like, I want to eat. I don't want the toy. In the end, she she learned to take the toy in her mouth. Um, the first time she did it was actually when it was no food left. So when she saw that the bowl with food was empty, then she took the toy in her mouth because she knew it was empty. Then I started to have extra food in my pocket so she couldn't know. And then she got a reward for taking the toy in her mouth. And she was surprised that it was more food. And now I can I can say like take it in relation to her. And then she will take it to your mouth. She has learned how to play kind of. And then you have to develop it so that she can like run after the toy and like yeah take it more in speed and so on and you always have to like look at your dog and and see what's see how the dog is taking it and um, trying to get this craziness from a young age i think that's a good thing but at the same time you have to remember that it's o- uh, that it's also good that they could think a little bit because yes agility is on time so it's about to being fast as possible to the finish but they have to be clear as well they have to do it without any faults so then you have this nice balance between speed and thinking it's a mystery how to do it right and it's not nothing right and wrong i think Uh, you just have to learn what's right and wrong with your own dog and then find the best toy the toy that has the biggest reward and yeah use that Many people, they watch agility and they see people running on the course for like 30, 40 seconds. Mm. And they might think that this isn't so hard, but uh, it is. And why is it? Yeah, why is it hard? Why is it hard to run? (laughs) It's hard in a different way, I think. But I think everyone can agree that running 60 meters in in the school was hard. And it's like the same on the agility course. The agility course is for the dog often 200 meters. So for us, it's a little bit shorter. It should be a little bit shorter because we have to take some shortcuts to to be where we should be. But let's say uh, 150 meters then we are running. But we are not, not just running straight forward. We are taking a lot of turns. So we have this weight shifting. And in addition to that, we have to talk with the dog. So you have to look at the dog. You have to run with the dog or in front of the dog or beside the dog. And you have to talk with the dog. So if you are comparing an agility handler with a sprinter, you have more tasks. So an agility handler is using their head much more than a sprinter. I think I'm not a sprinter, so I can't say it for sure. But I guess the sprinter have one goal, and it's to run straight forward and be first over the goal line. While an agility handler have to think about its motion and where to take its feet or your hand or what to say. And the timing is important and you have to be fast enough but not too fast. And then, yeah, 
It's and so you fun. also have to pay attention all the time because your dog is not always doing what you expect the dog to do. So you have to be prepared for some surprises on the way. Yeah, they're often doing something unexpected. You really have to look at them all the time. And that's why I said that the eye contact is very important. Because then you know if they are understanding what you're saying to them. And it depends kind of dog you have. If you have a new beginner, they are very likely to do something very strange. But if you have a dog that have competed for several years and started to... Yeah, be experienced, then you can trust them more, of course. But if I not pay attention to Zelda, we are disqualified like that. So you have to um, pay attention all the time. So that was what happened in the yeah in European Open on the on the last on the team finals. It was for I took a blind cross and I didn't have eye contact with her for I'm, I think. Um, 0.4 second then I didn't saw her and in that time she was in front of me and jumped the the jump on the on the Where wrong she way. wasn't supposed to yeah yeah it was in the wrong way so the attention is important no matter if they are new beginners or if they are routine dog when it comes to training you don't only train yourself you also do a lot of physical training with your dogs can you tell us a bit more of what you are doing to keep them fit? Yeah, it's different things that I do, but agility training with obstacles is maybe like one time a week, maybe two times. It depends if it's competition or not, but not more than two times a week. When you're training with obstacles, do you train like full courses or do you do smaller sequences? Yeah, smaller sequences. It's not so often that I'm training full courses because I think that's maybe a little bit too much to their bodies to always train this whole course all the time. And if your goal is to train courses, then you have to train courses, uh, if that's a specific goal for you. But if you are still learning the dog's thing because it's younger or it is thing that they are struggling with, I'm always taking sequences. So if they are struggling with the slalom, then I'm taking a sequence with the slalom. But if the struggle is to get through a whole course, then you either have to train the whole course to like train the dog to can do a whole course without barking or, you know, disqualified in some way. Or you have to find a specific sequence that is hard for them. But uh, yeah, with Zelda, I train whole courses maybe, yeah, before before big championships, but a good in good time before. So not not last minute. No, no. Not the last weekends before, or weeks, but um, maybe two months before I can train whole courses with her. Just to know that she is uh, always good, that the timing is good between us. But when uh, it's getting closer and closer, I am also training smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller sequences with her. I think that's a nice thing. So her body can relax more. So that's the agility training. But when it comes to other types of training, I am... Yeah, I'm using different equipments. You have this um, weight vest for the dogs that I've used a little bit with Zella. And yeah, you can also use this... Uh, weight cuffs? Yeah, weight cuffs. Thank you. And um, also this chain. Yeah, to pull a chain. Yeah. Mm. So that's maybe what I've tried. Um, I'm not like doing everything so often, but... 
what I've used most on Zelda, I think, is the weight cuffs and the weight vest, actually. And that's because I'm living in the city right now in Oslo, and it's uh, much hard ground. So then it's easiest for her to have it on her body or on her feet. So because of the sound and so it will, yeah, it will, of course, strengthen her. And I feel that, yeah, you know itself when you are going with this weight vest, you feel much easier afterwards. So it's the same thing with her. But I am not so, so into it. So I'm I'm using it mostly when she's not competing. They have to remember that she's like five kilos. So if I put... 100 gram on each side of the weight vest then that's quite much to her so one kilo is like 20 percent of her body weight so that's that's very much i really have to think so i don't uh, train her too hard actually and in addition to that i am also going to this uh, different football courses with artificial grass or maybe real grass it depends on the weather and so on and i can throw balls with her after we have warmed up of course uh, a lot of people throw the balls just once they get out to the garden or out in the park. But we are walking to this um, football course and um, in that way she is more warm when I'm throwing it. And then she can like run more. And then it's more specific for what she's doing, the agility. But I know it's different meaning about the uh, ball because you have this when they are uh, stopping in front of the ball can be very hard for the shoulders so it it depends on the craziness of the dog uh, i have some dog dogs in the family that are really crazy on the ball and then they are like throwing themselves after the ball and can't like stop and then they're sliding along the grass it can be really heavy for their shoulders so that's not so good uh, so you have to like see the dog but Zelda, she is more like okay now I'm close by the ball, then I can slow a little bit down and take it to my mouth. So she's adjusting a bit better. Yeah, I think she is Yeah, much better because she thinks a little bit more. And she she's very good to not get injured, I think, before I can use the ball more often to her. But um, I always have to look at the dogs that I have with me because if often I have two or maybe three. And uh, sometimes you can use all three at the same time. Uh, after the same ball or two different balls or whatever. But we also had this accident that the dogs are like running into each other. And then can, that can be really bad. So you have to be careful actually. Maybe not throw the ball at all. So I know my chiropractor, she's not a fan of this ball throwing. She hates it, I think. Because uh, yeah, you get these uh, locks in their backs all the time. So she is like, no, no, no. So you have to just uh, look at your dog and see how good they are taking the, that kind of play. Yeah. yeah, and that's the importance of strength training as well, I guess, because when you're training strength with your dog, the body can take a bit more. Yeah, I, I totally forgot the things that I'm doing the most because what I'm talking about until now, like this, this uh, weight vest and these weight cuffs, I'm not doing that often, but what I really do often is the strength training of the dogs, of course, and balance and coordination. But that's another trick. And I really like, I actually love it. So I bought a lot of equipment for the dogs in the house. I have this different balance equipment, like, you know, this Pilates ball. And um, yeah, and you have this ball that looks like an egg and they look like a peanut. And you have this smaller 
rounded shape uh, that's f- more flat and and most of it it's for human so you can buy it on any any sports shop i guess and it's just uh, and you can just use your fantasy to just find things that moves then you can tell the to- dogs to go on it and maybe sit on it lie on it spin around either to the right or the left the trick that i'm learning them when they are quite young just on the ground on the carpet i'm taking just the same tricks and telling them to do it on the pilates ball for instance or anything else that is moving so i take something that they know very well and something that they are comfortable with a trick and i'm asking them to do it on something that moves and in that way it's something uh, they are very comfortable with and something new and then they can strengthen different muscles because when you have to balance in a sitting position you use different muscles and if you are standing on this balance uh, thing then you can activize uh, a lot of muscles in different ways i think you just have to use your fantasy because when i started with strength training myself i did a lot of squats and then i was figuring out hmm how can sella do a squat and then i started with this sitting pretty and then i told her to stand on her back feet and then i told her to sit pretty again and then up on her back feet so she was like going up and down up and down but always on her back feet so maybe i have to support her a little bit in her, with her front feet like we are holding this bar over her shoulders but that's fair because she is really activating her gluteus muscles in the back. So I think that's a that's a nice uh, exercise. Uh, uh, but yeah, you have a lot of good exercises actually. That's the hind feet like with these squats and so on, but you also have the front part of the body that's also important to strengthen. So then you just have to think quite opposite. So when you ha- when you want to strengthen their hind feet then they have to sit and stand and so on and have their upper body high and their lower body low but if you want to strengthen their upper body you can just do the opposite it's important for me to both think about the, the hind part of their body and also the front part of their body and then in the end you also have to think about the core so the core you can activate in many different ways i think but uh, then you can have their front part and back part at the same height but maybe like stretching at one side and the other side and like my chiropractor said to me walking in high grass or walking in high snow very slowly because when you're doing things slow then you really have to activate your or your inner core muscles um so that's a good thing i know the theory but it's not said that i'm doing all of this but i'm trying to do a lot of it so therefore i i often actually take the leash on the dogs even though i can have them free so they have to go a little bit slower because when they're going slower i know that they're using more of their cores because we have this trouble with them too of our dogs they're having these big biceps and you know this front part it's so strong and their gluteus and all their like um, hamstring and so on it's so big and so powerful but when you are uh, when you are taking on the back it's like you can feel the bones everywhere so then i'm thinking okay they haven't trained the core enough and that's very typical for a dog that is running and running and running and running so once you take the leash off they're like vroom and running in the wood yeah that's nice they are like uh, sprinting a lot 
but they are just getting muscles in the front or in the back. But the back is like so skinny. So, so it's a weak point. Yeah, it's, I think it's a very, very weak point, actually. And it's important to be aware of how your dog is shaped. So, yeah, when you are cuddling with them in the evening or in the night when you're watching TV or whatever, just feel a little bit on them, like touch their uh, muscles in the front and touch them in the in their hind legs. And like, okay, is it a lot or is it not so much? And feel how they are on, on their backs, st- uh, how much of the bone you can feel. And I think for an athlete, like an agility dog, I think, yes, you should feel the bones on them. Because if they have so much fat that you can't feel the bones, they are too heavy for this sport, actually, because it's quite heavy for a heavy dog to run. When you are looking at a sprinter to use yeah, Usain Bolt, it's a lot of muscles. It should be the same with an agility dog, actually. But in the same time, when you are looking at a football player, they are much smaller and not so muscular. And agility is running, yes, but it's also this weight shifting and back and forth and up and down, tricksing thing like with the obstacles, and that's more like a football player. So we have to like yeah something in between. Yeah, mm. I think maybe something in between actually, to find your weak spots on your own dog and work with them. I think it's important and and you could do it very easily with this trick and this uh, different uh, strength trainings. Zelda, she has a very good core because she is not this crazy dog that is running wild when I'm taking her leash off. She's just walking besides me, maybe a little bit in front of me, but she don't run this fast. Um, so she has a good core. The youngest one, she doesn't have, have any core at all. One reason is because she is young, but I think the main reason is because she is, when I'm taking her leash off, she just ran wild and then she ran back and then she ran forth and she's like never going easily and slowly. In the winter, to like go with her with the leash on so that she really have to lift her feet in the snow, for instance. I think that's a good exercise for such a dog because then you are working with the core more. And if you're doing, like you said, like checking your dog every day then it's also easier to notice if something is wrong because i guess often it starts with a small uh, a small change but it could turn out quite bad if you uh, if the time goes by and something happens yeah yeah you should be aware of your dog and especially in this agility sport because it's so it's so heavy for their bodies and they have to be fit if they can do it maximally like I said, agility is a team sport, so you are to two team ma- members. What's hard with agility is that the second team member is a dog, so they can't speak with us, so they can't tell us if they have any pain anywhere. And since they are uh, carnivores, they want to hide it as best as they can because that's just their instinct. So if they have any pain, they are like trying to hide it the best they can, and you don't necessarily see it even though you are with them every day. I actually think it's harder to see it when you are around them every single day because if it's a small change that is changing a little bit every day, then you don't notice it. But if um, maybe your friend saw the dog uh, one day and then they see the dog 
one month later when this change has happened uh, then your friend maybe can say wow what had happened why is he or she so sad or maybe a little muscle or yeah moving differently mm. could also be something yeah moving differently absolutely or more maybe bigger they're getting more fat it's actually hard for us to see that as well i think if you're don't using the weight yeah you should be aware but i think the hardest spots to see is actually their um being in their their mental being uh, i remember Zelda uh, had hurt her tooth one time so she um she had this infection in her tooth and then um she was the beginning was just that she was a little bit she didn't play so much inside and then it it was less and less and less playing inside but i didn't like notice it so well and then she was getting a little bit more like you know a little bit more angry or oh, pissed off if someone else of the dogs uh, came to her and after a long while she started to refuse to eat it took a long time to actually from the infection started until that i understood that okay she has some trouble with one of her teeth i didn't for for, for sure know so i had to go to the vet and yes it was an infection and she had to take it away and we have to go to antibiotica and after that she was like a whole new dog so yeah it could be small things that doing a big different you have to like think about yourself and issues that you can have yourself if you had a um, bad teeth yourself you are really getting grumpy and angry and yeah you don't want to eat so it's it's actually the same but you have to handle a dog like you are handling your your children until they can speak so the time from newborn to to they are learning the language that's like the dogs all the time i think the different is that you can leave the dog alone at home you can't do that with the children but other than that it's the same way to communicate you have to like guess and you have to like shake it up and you have to be prepared that it can be something even though they are not telling you with the children i feel that we are really looking and we are maybe going to the to the doctor even though it's not necessary but with the dogs it it di- it's of course different between people but then we can maybe go yeah we should go to the veterinary or the vet more often i think so yeah when you feel something is wrong just check it out when it comes to agility what are your goals you've been on the podium at the world championships twice but you have not been on on the top on the final day is that your next goal this is a hard question yeah we have been to the world championship for three times so it was the first and the second year it went really good last year it went really bad and i think last year was maybe the year where i was thinking about it would be nice to stand on the top actually and then things went wrong yeah yeah because of that yeah so you got the wrong mindset yeah really so that's another thing that's important in the agility because like i said earlier the agility sport is not just running straight forward and no thinking it's more you are using your mind all the time but not just on the course also before you are doing the course and during the course 
and also afterwards and is all these impressions from the people that are looking at you and all this stuff and especially in the big championships so the mental training has been a very important part of my training as well yeah it was before the championship in 2016 I was training a lot and like I said I was training a lot of intervals and it was in a period there too much so I was quite skinny at that time actually and that was not not a good thing at all and my mom was so worried about it and my colleagues in the class they were also a little bit worried about it for the first time I really felt it in my mind because when I was training so much and you know you have you are ripped on your uh, body then you then the mind is like turning around and I didn't think that I was able to do anything and I remember that this was when I was doing the tryouts in 2016 and uh, we got a spot for the world championship but after that weekend I was like I was like going on the wall or yeah I was really at the bottom I was uh, capable to do the tryouts but after that I was like it was nothing left of me kind of so um and I was always thinking oh I will not I will not uh, be there in time I don't think I will do this right and I had so little self-confident my family was quite worried about it and my brother was taking it seriously so he started to learn me about mental training and in that way I really needed it at that time because of my my body and the physical struggles I had Um, and that was I that was the reason why I did it so well that year actually in a Nordic championship, we was in the lead until the finals. Uh, that when was when the Nordic was in Norway, actually. But in the finals, I was doing a little bit of a miss. I remember my brother said, it's better to do the disqualification in Nordic than in the ABC. He was kind of say, saying to me. And that was a big motivation. So, But I was never thinking that I would be lost in the, in the world championship. But I was just listening and, like, mm, and smiling to him when he said it. But that's okay. So I was not crying for this loss, loss of the Nordic uh, gold. But uh, I can't call it a loss because I never had the gold, but I didn't win it at least. So, But that was okay. So then we got this first championship in, in Zaragoza in Spain. Just because I had the right mindset then, I, I was able to do it very good result actually. So we went second then and now on the podium after the first run. And then we was not lost in the final, but we were second lost. I had never thought it, I hadn't even dared about dreaming about being in that good position in the World Championship. And I think that was also maybe much of the reason why we were there, I think. It's many, many ways to see it, because um, I've also read and heard, and many people are thinking themselves of a winner, and then they are winning. I am not maybe thinking myself of a winner in that kind of a way because I feel that you are taking the taking it a little bit for granted then. So you should always be in momentum and not in the future and not in the, the past, but you have to be in momentum all the time. But how do you do that when you're standing on the last day of the World Championships? Everybody is looking at you. You know that you're second. And if you do this clear and good, mm. you can be the winner. How do you manage to not 
go that way. Yeah, it's it's like I said, I have to be in momentum. That's maybe the most important. At that time, you you don't have any time to learn something new. So you just have to think about what you are going to do now and uh, thinking about your tasks and what's important now. Doing the task and then the next task and then the next task and then if you're doing everything correctly, then you should be clean and good into the goal. Yeah. When you're standing on the start line, do you notice people around you or are you in your own zone with your dog? I am definitely notice people around me, but I'm notice people and I'm not notice specific people. So I'm just noticed that there is a lot of a lot of people screaming and so on. And some voices I can recognize, but it, it's nothing that I'm thinking so much about. It's very special for the Norwegian ones, I think, in the World Championships, because we had these supporters, and they are really they are good supporters, so they are cheering a lot, and that I really mean a lot. That's both positive and negative, I think, because it's very positive to get this support, but it may be negative if you are even very nervous, or if they are screaming so high when you're doing the course that the dog doesn't listen or, or the dog doesn't hear what you're saying because it's so noisy. Because the German people, the German supporters, they are cheering a lot before and they're cheering extremely afterwards, especially if it's a clean run. But during the agility, they're they are not saying anything. They're so quiet. Uh, and the reason why I know is f- because Tobias Wust, which is one of the world's best in agility. He has been uh, competed after me when, yeah, when this uh, world championship in both 2016 and 17. And when I was going through the course, it was sharing all the time. But when he was going through the course, it was so quiet. So that's so magic when it's this quiet thing. Um, but yeah, tradition is tradition. So it's nothing I can do anything with. And it's like the weather. I can't decide if it's good weather or bad weather. I just have to take what I get and handle it. So I'm handling the supporters and I'm ignoring it, <laughs> actually. And I'm always like on the briefing, like you have to learn which obstacles and yeah, and the numbers and which side and how to handle and all that. But I'm also briefing that, okay, this is the spot where the supporters can share a little bit louder. Then I have to say the command a little bit higher. So I'm like briefing these details as well. I remember in Saragossa in 2016, I was briefing in the finals to take this flick after the dog walk. And I was like, was briefing and visualizing that Zelda was doing this this perfect uh, hit on the contact. And then that I did the flick. And I was seeing that a lot of times. And when I was on the briefing, I remember I saw her hit the contact and then I was briefing that, okay, now it will be noisy because this is good. This is really good. So when I was saying my away command, which was flicking, uh, then I knew that I had to raise my voice. So I was briefing that actually, that I was saying that command higher than ev- everything before, actually, because I knew it will it would be exploded. <laughs> And I had right, so uh, it exploded. But not only the Norwegian supporter, supporters, actually the whole hall was exploding because 
I think I was one of the few that run on that side of the dog walk. So it was quite special. And I was the second last. So it's always very exciting when the last 10 dogs is uh, going. It's quite a good show, actually. So, And everyone was sharing when Zelda had this perfect hit. And when she also did the flick, it was like, whoa, this is so great. And it was exactly what I had imagined. So I was like, good, good, good is what I thought. So I was just going further and yeah. So it's um it's um yeah, it's magic when you are like seeing something and that is happening, then then you are prepared for it and then then you can handle it in a really good way. But with the crowd it can also be a bad thing because sometimes if something goes wrong, the crowd may be silent and you will notice i guess yeah that's uh, also a tricky part i think and i uh, had had some failures on that it was in um, shelty vm or shelty uh, world championship uh, i remember zelda was on the dog walk and i was not so good prepared then i was not so focused on this championship because it was not so important for me it was Afterward, I realized that, oh my God, I was not focused enough. What happened was that uh, the crowd was uh, like sharing when she hit the contacts. But the thing was that someone was sharing and someone was, whoa. And someone was, yeah, it was this, it was different reactions from different per- peoples. So we started to doubt a bit? Yeah, I was not sure if she was jumping or if she was hitting the contact because of the responding on the on the crowd that was quite uh yeah that was quite difficult situation for me because what happened then i was in momentum all the time until i heard the crowd and i was just running straight forward so i didn't see what actually happened so i couldn't know if she had been on the contact or not and then it started so i started to doubt and then i was not in the momentum uh, then I was in the past because I was thinking, what happened now? What had happened? Did she hit? Did she not hit? My body was in the momentum, of course. I was trying to handle her further in the course. But my mindset and my head was in the past. So I got a little bit crushed there. And what happened then, just three, four obstacles later, was that we disqualified because she came on the ro- wrong side on obstacles and I'm not surprised at all because I really deserved that when I was not in momentum so after that day I get to learn in the hard way that you have to be uh, yeah you have to trust yourself and you have to always especially in these finals you have to go like it's like it's clear and no matter what or if you get a bar down or if you get a jumping contact or something that's uh, yeah are wrong then you just have to go to the to the goal uh, as Fight good as you it, can. Yeah, no matter what. Yeah, really. In European Open this year, we got this long finish line or this long line before the finish, and the seesaw was one of the last obstacles. I think it was the fourth last, maybe. Yeah, I knew that I just had to trust her on the seesaw and then run everything I could to the finish, and. Yeah, we have been struggling a little bit with the CISO in the last, so I kind of lost the Norwegian Championship gold on exactly that fa- uh, fail. And again, I can't say that I lost it because I never had it, but yeah, we didn't get the gold medal there either. 
And she is very excited in this competition, uh, Zelda. So I have to be quite... Uh, I have to hold her on the seesaw, but then I didn't have time to hold her, so I just had to trust that she could do the work herself. And then I was um, saying seesaw to her, and she went on the seesaw, and I was start running. And I hear the crowd. Someone like was owing, and someone was like yaying. And I had no idea what happened. I had no idea. I guessed that uh, she maybe got a five fault because they're responding on their crew. But I had no idea. So I just ran everything I had to the finished. And I was not satisfied because I knew she had a bad seesaw. So I, I have actually a picture on that because you're yeah in these big championships everyone is taking pictures and I can see a picture of me when I'm in the in the on the finish I am holding Sella and I'm so mad I'm like so not happy at that picture and that's because I am looking for the judge and I'm like trying to think did she get the seesaw wrong so I was looking to the seesaw and I think I was thinking a lot I don't know but I was not happy so. And then I went out, uh, off the course and and uh, I was treating Sal a lot, of course. And I was very happy with the run when you don't think about the seesaw. So, uh, of course, she got a lot of rewards. But I was just a little bit <laughs> disappointed because I thought, okay, it was the same that happened in the Norwegian Championship. So I've been through this before, so now I just have to go through it one more time. And then my mom was coming just some second later, and I was like, okay, did she get this so wrong? Yes or no? I was just say, asking her, and I didn't have any hope, and she was like, no, no, she was clean. And I was like, what? Was she clean? And I was like, oh my God, then I had a lot of luck, I think. And uh, my mom was like, yes, it was not a good CISO. I have seen Zelda doing many CISOs that is much better than that one. But at the same time, he was judging uh, in that way at every equipage so it was not that you and Sala that had this bad seesaw it was several dogs so don't you worry about that you were clean in the finals so that was a very good feeling yeah then I really it was a dif- big difference beque- between uh, these years when I got this crowding thing around me contra versus uh, in Germany at the Schalte uh, World Championship when when I was, uh, I was not handling it. But at these big competitions, it's easy to maybe think that if I run clean, if I play safe, mm. I can get through and maybe I will win. Yeah. But uh, playing safe, it doesn't necessarily take you to the top. No. Do you manage to r- go all in every time? When you're looking how the sport has developed the last years, you can't win by going safe, I think. Then you have to have a really fast dog, if that's your plan. It's like slalom. Like, uh, you are going for two rounds, and uh, the person who gets down the down the hill fastest, the first round, is starting in the end on the second round. And in slalom, they are never playing safe, I think, because it's standing about just... Or the top ten can be on the same second. So it's like hundreds and tens of second that is uh, differs between the first and the second. So, no, you, I don't think playing it safe will um, not be easy at all. And with Selva, she, she, I can try to play safe, but when, I, when I'm doing that, or I'm never doing it, I'm never thinking now I will play it safe, but sometimes I 
handling, like my subconscious mind is thinking, do it safe. And when that happens, it's not so good very often. So I always try to do to give it all. Yeah, I think some dogs you can play it safe with, but uh, but with other dogs uh, or most of the dogs, I think it's it's hard because if you're playing it safe, then you're doing something else than you are usually do, and you know, fight as you train, and y- if you are training to be give it all, then you have to give it all in the fight. You can't like just do oh, a different kind of things when you are in the competition. I don't think the dog will understand what is happening now. And like I said, the dog can't understand what we are saying. So we can't communicate with the dog as the same as we can do with a person. So, you know, in, yeah, I don't know, a sand volleyball maybe, then you are two persons that are playing together. If you have this strategy, yeah, to the play, then you are agree on this strategy. But if one other person is changing without saying it to the other one and is thinking, now we, sh- we have to play safe, but the other person doesn't get that message, then they, it will be like these misunderstandings between those two, and then they will most probably lose the game. So I think that's the same thing with you and the dog. If I am suddenly changing my strategy through the course because I want to play it safe, but Zelda doesn't know that that will happen because she thinks it's a usual training or a usual, uh, usual agility competition, then she will most probably misunderstand me at several spots and then we might disqualify it. It might go go um, go clean, but uh, it's a bigger risk, I think. After this episode was recorded, Elibiato was supposed to go to the World Championships in Finland, which took place only a couple of weeks ago. That did not happen, though, as the Norwegian team was not allowed to go due to an unknown disease killing dogs from bloody diarrhea and vomiting. One of the veterinarians taking care of severely ill dogs at the Norwegian School of Veterinary Science was Erle Beate herself. I had a chat with her this week to hear how those days were. Since I'm both a veterinary student and an agility competitor, I'm kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I'm respecting and understanding the fact that we aren't go going to this year's AVC because there's always a risk for contagious between dogs. But after experience that there are minimal to non-contagious be- events between the dogs in the clinic nor to the dogs owned by the veterinarians or the students at the clinic, this feels a little exaggerated. Um, however, that's life. And that's media. They make money by selling outrageous headlines. Anyway, I don't feel sorry for myself. I feel sorry for the dogs that have suffered and for the owners that unfortunately lost their dog. I'm incredibly thankful that Zelda is 100% healthy. Uh, she's even set a new personal record over the past three weeks in perfect stool sample. Congrats, Sola. How was it to see everybody else going to the World Championships and you had to stay at home? Yeah. During the ABC was the hardest time, I guess, because then I realized that we were forced to stay home and that this year's ABC was not going to happen. It was kind of surrealistic and um, 
it's when you first not get the opportunity to go there that you really realize how much you want to be there. So I really felt on the feeling that I really wanted to stay on the start with Zelda. Mm. And I felt like I had mobilized a lot of energy to exactly that weekend. Um, so it was quite tough. But I chose to look at the live stream and try to turn it to a positive thing and be like motivated and inspired out of good agility. And it certainly was a lot of good competitors uh, that both are inspiring me and motivating me to train more, um, which was a very good, which was a good thing. Mm. I remember that when the comp competition was going on, I could feel the nerves and I could feel the the excitement about the competition, and and uh, yeah, I could like visualize how how it was. Mm. So I was uh, sitting in the chair and I was kind of both shaking and almost sweating because of the nerves. Somehow it almost felt like I was there, but we were not there. The best thing about being home is that I have never felt more motivated to the next year or the next season. So I'm really looking forward to, to what... 2020 will bring. Then we go back to the original recording. If you had to do another sport with your dog than agility, what would it be? Um, I have this So I have these herding dogs. But I think the audience is quite interesting. Kind of. It's a little bit boring. but uh, And I think it's a little bit... Yeah, it can be hard for the dog to like do this uh, sequence or doing th all this stuff without any treats so I don't like that too much but maybe this rally audience is uh, more like um, more funny part and um, if not yeah I, I think I would do something that I can like to work with them like tricks because I think that's so, m so funny but I also like to be active so with the dog so uh, I could for sure try triathlon and so on. But uh, I don't think Sheltis is the best breed to have in a triathlon because uh, they might help you the first kilometers. But after then, I've, I guess you have to help them further. So, uh, But it would be interesting. Uh, but then you have to really be just, just compete uh, for fun and not to think that you have any chances to winning against, uh, against them more like faster and stronger and bigger dogs. Thank you so much for sharing all your experience. Oh, you're welcome. You've been listening to Unleashed by Nonstop Dogware. If you have questions, feedback, or ideas for guests or topics to cover, please email us at unleashed at nonstopdogware.com. You can also follow Unleashed Pod on Instagram or visit nonstopdogware.com for more content. Remember to subscribe for more episodes.